Welcome to another inspirational message from Chowdean Community Church, Gateshead. For more information about Chowdean, visit www.chowdean.org.uk. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Well, this morning, um, we're gonna, I'm just going to introduce you to this series that we uh, plan on doing for the next 10 months, one a month, um, so you won't get overloaded, but once every month, we're going to look at the, um, can you believe it? Why, why do we believe what we believe? And can we know it to be true? And there are some fundamental questions for us as human beings. The most consequential being these, origin, where do we come from, identity, who are we, meaning, why are we here, and morality, how should we live, destiny, where are we going. These are fundamental questions for every human being, and often we just kind of park those questions and we drift through life until we get towards the end and we start to wonder, what was that all about? Is there anything else? The answers to all these questions depends on the existence of God. Now, everyone who's here this morning, I'm assuming that you believe that God exists. But there are so many in our world today, in our society, in our families and amongst our friends who are skeptical, who don't believe that God exists. But you see, if God exists, then there is ultimate meaning and purpose to your life. And if there's real purpose to our lives, then there's a real right way and wrong way to live it. Choices that you and I make now will not only affect us here, but for all eternity. If there is no God then your life ultimately means absolutely nothing. If there's no purpose to life, then there's no right or wrong way to live it. It doesn't matter how you live or what you believe because your destiny is just dust. It also means that everything that we believe and that we stand for here in our fellowship is wrong and pointless. However, the good news is we are not wrong And over the coming months, I hope that we'll all better understand the overwhelming evidence to support our conclusion. God exists. He created everything, and He loves us beyond measure. He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to redeem us from our rebellion against Him, to draw us back to Himself and to give us hope in a fallen world. Jesus died on a cross and He rose again from the dead. And for those who trust and believe in Him, we are promised everlasting life starting now in His presence. But the question is, how do we know this? What's the evidence? And can we believe it beyond a reasonable doubt? In a society which increasingly denies the existence of God, rejects any suggestion of faith and belief in an ultimate authority. We need not only to know Him in a personal, emotional way, but from a factual, 
evidential way too, so that we can articulate with confidence to those who do not believe and do not know Him. You know, when I became a Christian, it wasn't through evidence. It wasn't through facts. And I'm not suggesting that's what we need to bring people to Christ. That's a work of the Holy Spirit. And it was a work of the Holy Spirit that changed me. It changed my views. It it revealed Jesus to me. But since then, as I've gone through my Christian life, there have been times when I've been challenged by a non-Christian, and I've not felt able to answer him. I've not felt confident to explain the reason for what I believe. And God wants us to know that we have a reasonable faith, that our faith is based on facts. He wants us to know that His Word is truth, that truth is knowable. You know, you hear people in the world today, they'll say that, well, that may be true for you, but it's not true for me. And that truth is not knowable, that it's subjective. Well, to me, two plus two equals four is true. And it's true here, now, yesterday, tomorrow, in Albania, in Russia, in America, in Gateshead. It's true. To say two plus two equals five is false. Yeah? There is truth and it can be known. And that's what God tells us. 1 Peter 3.15, Peter says, But in your heart, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. So God's telling us, always be prepared. So this whole series is about being prepared. It's preparing us to be able to give answers to those who ask us to give a reason for the hope that we have. So we're going to explore the evidence that leads us to our belief in God, our faith in Jesus Christ, and answers the skeptics and the atheistic worldview that prevails in our now post-Christian culture. So these are the um, titles. <clears throat> we haven't got the big screen up there anymore, so you probably can't read them. Um, but these are the titles that I've given to the messages that we'll go through over the next 10 months. So in February, for example, we're going to look at a number of things, including the cosmological argument. And that's, don't get worried about the big words, that's just the argument from the beginning of the universe. And I would submit the beginning of the universe is the beginning of the end for atheism. And the law of causality, it goes like this, everything that had a beginning had a cause. The universe had a beginning, therefore the universe had a cause. God is outside of time, space, and matter. He created it. He is the uncaused cause. He is the first cause, which there has to be. Anything that had a beginning, it had to have a beginner. In March, we're going to focus on evolution. And Ron Carlson, who lectures about the Darwinian theory, said this. He said, in grammar school, they taught me that a frog turning into a prince was a fairy tale. In the university, they taught me that a frog turning into a prince was a fact. It's crazy. This is the crazy world that we live in. Psalm 139 says, For you formed my inward parts. 
you wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I cannot believe that everything we see in creation emerged from nothing, with no direction, with no intelligence behind it, to create this extremely complex world and even this extremely complex human being that that you and I are. That from non-living matter, undirected, emerged through some fanciful evolutionary process that even Darwin wouldn't believe if he were alive today and knew the evidence that's emerged since he lived to produce all this. My struggle is that I find it hard... Margaret says, um, you can't start it when people don't agree with you. You don't like it when people don't agree with you. She's probably right. And if somebody says something, and especially if they're kind of very belligerent and, you know, uh, forceful about it, and I think it's wrong, my natural reaction is to say, what a load of rubbish. That's stupid. But that's not what God says, and we'll get to that later in terms of how we deal with people who don't share our, our views. And we'll define what people mean by evolution because there's macroevolution and there's microevolution. Microevolution is basically adaptation. And we see that. We see how um, our species within their species can adapt, but they never change species. Macroevolution can't be proved at all because it only happened once, if it happened at all. And I don't believe it happened at all. But we'll look at that in some depth. The evidence does not support the view of evolution. For example, there is no evolutionary history in the fossil record. They will talk about the Cambrian explosion and the fossil record, but the Cambrian explosion, which has all these sort of fossils in this thin layer, what that does, it supports instantaneous creation, not macroevolution. So the evidence supports creation. In 2004, National Geographic contained a report which said this, illuminating but spotty, the fossil record is like a film of evolution from which 999 of every 1,000 frames have been lost on the cutting room floor. Think about that. I'll read that again because I like it. Illuminating but spotty. The fossil record is like a film of evolution from which 999 of every 1,000 frames have been lost on the cutting room floor. Now, time doesn't permit for me to give you a taster of every session that we're going to do over the coming 10 months. But as we go through the year, we'll see that science supports our faith and vice versa. That we can trust the historicity, the truth, and the reliability of the New Testament documents, the truth of Jesus' life, works, death, and resurrection, and why the Christian faith is the truth and the only way to God. One of the issues in our world today is that people can't handle truth when it doesn't suit their personal desires, and we hear things like, all truth is relative. It may be true for you, but not for me. Winston Churchill said, men stumble over the truth from time to time but most pick themselves up and hurry off as if nothing had happened. That's what we see in our 
education system. That's what we see with our scientists. And uh, I'm digressing a little bit here, but there's a guy called Bart Ehrman. And my son gave me a book by Bart Ehrman called Interrupting Jesus. And he's a guy who used to be uh, a Christian, and now he says he's an agnostic. And, uh, and he's written another, another book, um, Misquoting Jesus. And he wrote that book in 2005. And it's interesting that in, in that year, he published two books. One was an academic book, which would be read by his peers, academics, who would understand all of the things and the, the evidence and the facts that he was quoting. And in that, he said, yep, the New Testament is absolutely true. There's no reason to doubt any of the Gospels. They were all written by who they, who they say they were written by, and they were all written within... Um, the first century. He then publishes a, a book which is for the general public where he said the opposite. Now, why would he do that? It became an, uh, an immediate New York Times best-selling book. So that's how he could make his money by questioning the veracity of the Christian gospel. But he couldn't do that when he knew it was going to be read by his peers in academia because they would pick up on the errors of what he was saying. So there's, to me, an example of someone who was presented with the truth, knew it to be true, but picked himself up and hurried off as if nothing had happened. If you read or listen to what the new breed of aggressive atheist has to say, you can kind of sum it up like this. God does not exist, and I hate him. That's it. Dawkins, Hitchens, who's now passed away, um, Sam Harris, all these guys, when you read what they're saying, God doesn't exist, and I hate him. It's ridiculous. Anyway, um, you see, they and the liberal educationalists and the secular scientists, including the late Stephen Hawking, take a philosophical starting point, which says there is no God, so when they look at the evidence, they've already ruled out a supernatural cause. They've already ruled out God as a possibility. So they have to find some other cause or reason for what they see. They do not follow the evidence to where it leads, which is what any objective investigation into causes, which is what science is, it's an investigation into causes, actually does. They don't follow the evidence. In his letter to the Romans, Paul said, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. There is no excuse for those who say God does not exist. They don't need to read the Bible to know that God exists. The evidence is there, and it has been from the beginning. Scientists used to believe that the universe was static. In other words, that it, what we see, it's always been that way. Nothing has changed. It's always existed. That's what they used to believe. But more recent scientific advances and evidence has shown beyond a reasonable doubt, and virtually all the secular scientists, physicists, astronomers, etc., they all accept this, that the universe is expanding and that it had a beginning. They talk about the Big Bang the beginning 
when everything we see, the universe, was created out of nothing. It just happened. There's nothing, and then there was something. And that something, over billions of years, led to us. That's what they believe. That's what they say. Astronomer Arno Penzias says this, Astronomy leads us to a unique event, a universe which was created out of nothing, one with the very delicate balance needed to provide exactly the right conditions required to permit life, and one which has an underlying, one might say, supernatural plan. That's an astronomer who doesn't profess to be a Christian. That's what he says when he looks at the evidence from astronomy. Now, my good friend Justin Briley, uh, who works for Premier Christian Media, um, he hosts a program, a show called Unbelievable, and for many years he's been uh, moderating a debate between atheists and Christians. And he wrote a book recently called um, Unbelievable after 10 years of debating atheists why I'm still a Christian. And he also posted um, a little video, which we're going to show now, which I think um, is quite illuminating. It's only a short video, but I really like it. The big surprise to all the atheists is, and all those scientists who are now pondering over the, the, the beginning of the universe and learning that there was a beginning to the universe, is that the Bible starts with these words, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1.1. Thousands of years before our scientists could see and prove it, Moses told it. And British cosmologist Arthur Eddington in the early 20th century said, the beginning seems to present insuperable difficulties unless we agree to look on it as frankly supernatural. We have a supernatural God who created everything. In the beginning, God created. So let's just play that video, if we can, please. Some people say that human existence is a result of a roll of the cosmic dice. Like the gambler who stakes his life savings on the next throw, we just got lucky in the lottery of life. Some people say there's no purpose in the universe, no grand plan, no God behind it all. Our numbers just came up and here we are. But I don't believe them, and nor should you. If I roll this dice, the chances of getting a six is one in six. That's not too bad. But what are the chances of me rolling six twice in a row? Well, the odds get longer. It's one in six times by one in six. That's one in 36. So I'd have to be pretty lucky to get two sixes in a row. Now, every time I add the chances of rolling another six in a row, the odds go up exponentially and it gets even more unlikely. Now, what if I rolled this dice 70 times and every single time I got a six? Okay, that's pretty unlikely, but it's possible, right? Well, in fact, the chances of rolling a six 70 times in a row are around one in 10 to the 55. That's a one with 55 zeros after it. Now, just to put that in perspective, how long would I have to stand here rolling this dice, allowing about five seconds per roll, before hitting that lucky streak and rolling 76s in a row? Well, I had a mathematician friend work it out for me. 
On average, you would have to continually roll this dice for 100 trillion 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 years before your numbers come up. That's a long time. What if you applied that thinking to us? What are the odds of us being here? Now, the odds of rolling 76 in a row, 1 in 10 to the 55, as it happens, those are the same odds of something called the expansion rate of the universe being just right for the existence of us here today. From the moment of the Big Bang, when our universe began to rapidly expand, the rate of that expansion was exquisitely finely balanced. Any faster, and the universe would have expanded too rapidly to allow the formation of chemicals, atoms, stars and galaxies. Any slower, and the universe would have collapsed back in on itself. But as it happens, the universe expanded at just the right rate to allow for life to develop in the future, for us to be here. It hit 70 rolls of the number six in a row, first time. And the expansion rate of the universe is just one among 30 or so other incredibly sensitively finely tuned constants and fundamental forces in the universe that must be just the way they are for the universe to be able to produce us. So let's imagine, if I went ahead and rolled this dice 70 times, and what do you know, every time it came up six, no waiting for trillions upon trillions of years, first time. Beginner's luck? Hardly. You would assume that I must have rigged it. Maybe the dice are loaded, maybe there are sixes on every side. It can't be chance. Now let me ask you, why would we assume that this universe with us in it, which is actually way more improbable than my 70 rolls, is just a result of chance? The fact that we're here shows that someone's loaded the dice. In fact, maybe there's no dice at all. What if the evidence points to this life-permitting universe actually being the product of an intelligent mind which intended for us to be here? Now, you could come up with some speculative other theory. Maybe there's an infinite number of universes giving you an infinite number of chances to roll the dice. Maybe. But we don't have any scientific evidence for it. So if you're hanging your hat on that possibility, then you're every bit as much committed to a faith position as the person who says God was behind it. Believing in God isn't a delusion. It's a perfectly reasonable conclusion when we look at the fingerprints on our universe. And if it's true that we aren't just the fluke results of a cosmic roll of the dice, and that we're actually here because a grand designer intended us from the very beginning, well, that's worth staking something on. I don't know about you, but when you look at that evidence, it's pretty hard to be an atheist. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. <clears throat> anyway, as I said earlier, this really is just a taster for you uh, of what is to come as we work through and look at the fundamentals of our faith, which lead us inexorably to Jesus the truth of His sacrificial death and resurrection, our salvation through Him, and our hope for the present and for the future. The reason behind the purpose we have and our responsibility to share our faith and demonstrate the love of God to others. We should remember this command from our Lord. He says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. 
The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I'm going to invite the band to come back up in a moment, but I think because you couldn't read uh, the slide earlier on, that some of the titles, some of the things that we'll look at, um, does God exist in the beginning? What about evolution? Why does a loving God allow suffering? How can a loving God send people to hell? The problem of evil. Is the New Testament true? Was Jesus' bodily resurrection real? Science and religion, conflict or consummation? Why is the Christian faith the one true religion? Don't all religions lead to God? Miracles or myths, are miracles possible? So these are the things that we're going to look at. And we'll look at them each in as much depth as the time permits us. But the whole idea of this, people, is that it will cause you to think. It will cause you to, in, um, to investigate, to go further into this, to look for yourselves. Because this is all about going on a journey to equip ourselves so that we're better positioned to understand why we believe what we believe and to share it with others and to deal with the skeptics, to deal with the atheistic worldview um, that we're confronted with every day in our lives. Um, So if the band could come back up now, and as they do so... um, I would just say that in between these lessons, if you like, uh, our focus for the year is hope. And added to that, following the great church weekend that we had last weekend, it's going to be, uh, with Jeff Lucas, is going to be our desire to, to show kindness as a core value of our church and to shine together in every way that we can. So some of the things we'll be looking at, and uh, we try to just put a title, the word hope, in front of everything. So it could be a multitude of different things, but I think next week Heather's going to um, look at hope in the face of life's disappointments, um, being hopeful even with depression, hope when all seems lost, hope through the power of prayer, uh, hope for the future, hope for our children, hope when God is silent, and there might be others as well. Um, that will be the sort of focus for the year. And, and our different speakers, the speaker team, will be bringing their own um, personality and approach to delivering these things. And don't worry, despite some of the titles, the idea is that we'll be uplifting and encouraging, but challenging as well. So let's come together as a church, full of hope, full of love, kindness, and shine together in our city. Let's just pray together now, and then I'll hand back over to the band. Father, we thank you for the evidence that you provided, not only to know of your existence, but that you love and you care for us, and you want the best for us. Help us, Lord, to take the encouragement this brings to others and be able to give answers to those who ask for the reason for the hope that we have. But to do so in love, with gentleness and respect, Because eternity matters, Lord. There is nothing more important than to either be with you or without you for all eternity. Give us courage and wisdom to share and bring as many as we can into your kingdom with us. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. This is the end of this message. We hope you enjoyed it. If you want to find out more about our church, please visit 
www.chowdean.org.uk and please take a minute to rate our podcast on iTunes. 